Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our third segment, after headlines, we'll catch up with Carson York. He's an offensive lineman for the Oregon Ducks. A lot of people think of jocks as the dumb jock, which I don't think is fair. Here's a guy that is the antithesis of that. Carson York, three-time academic All-American, carries the 3.75 GPA. Played in the Rose Bowl, phenomenal football player, did injure himself in the Rose Bowl, just had knee surgery. We'll catch up with him because I always like talking to intelligent athletes. This guy's going to be a double major, has an MBA. He's a really bright guy, and um, I think we need more of those athletes out there. And uh, We'll catch up with Carson York coming up later in the show. Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com will join me. We'll talk about the latest with the Los Angeles Dodgers sale. I'm also very, very bitter this week at the news that Bud Selig may possibly remain the commissioner of Major League Baseball. He said he was going to step aside in 2012. Looks like he's going to get a two-year extension at $22 million a year, nonetheless, and use of a private jet. Rough life. But it looks like he's going to stick around until 2014. We'll catch up with Maury Brown coming up later. Bill Sanders, the CMO of BDA Sports, they rep the likes of Yao Ming, Greg Oden, Rajon Rondo, and many others. He's a sports marketing guru. He's out there making deals every day for athletes, so we'll catch up with him and find out what that landscape looks like. I want to get his thoughts, too, on the NBA's return after the lockout. How's their brand doing? Has it been damaged at all? We'll catch up with Bill Sanders, the CMO of BDA Sports. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm on Twitter, at SB Radio. All right, coming up next, headlines. Lots of movement in the NFL. We'll have the BCS Championship Game TV ratings for you and all of the BCS ratings for you. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is SBR. Back with more after this. I got places to go. Well, the seat time is precious. I look at my Cartier out of control. Just like my mind when I'm going. No women, no shorties, no nothing. My clothes, no stopping at my Pirelli. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. 
For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Well, it's time for this week's headlines. Headline number one, the BCS championship is in the books. Alabama beats LSU 21-0 in the finals. And Griggs... What a snooze fest. And the SEC, they may have champions, but they play a pretty boring brand of football. And as we talked on the show last week, you know, this is a regional matchup. This is two teams from the South. So would people in the East, would people in the West care about this game? And as it turns out, they didn't. It was the lowest rated BCS championship game in the 14-year history of the BCS, a 14.0 rating. And Griggs, what's even more concerning if you're the BCS and more of a reason for them to look at changing the system, the BCS ratings across the board were down big time. You had a 7.3 average rating for all of the BCS games, the Rose, Orange, Sugar, and BCS Championship. As a matter of fact, the West Virginia 70-33 to route of Clemson at the Orange Bowl drew just a 4.5 rating, making it the lowest rated BCS game ever. So, okay, you move from Fox to ESPN this year, you move some of the games from ABC to ESPN, you're going to take a little bit of a hit. But we've seen a pretty sharp decline over the last two or three years in TV ratings. And if you're the BCS, that's more than just a trend. You've got to maybe change the system. Yeah, they've got a lot of money involved in this stuff, so you know that uh, that they're working on that because obviously they're not going to want to see ratings keep going down. They're going to try and figure something out to boost those back up. But uh, yeah, you're right, snooze fest on that championship game. After the uh, the third field goal, I think I turned it off when it was like 9 nothing. I'm like, this is just going to be another field goal game. And they did get one touchdown in the game, but yeah. When you have the number one ranked team in the country coming into that game, LSU, and it takes them until the fourth quarter to get across the 50-yard line, that's not a compelling game. And I think most fans in America have been raised on scoring. So they like the Rose Bowl. They like the Fiesta Bowl. They like the Alamo Bowl. Those were all high-scoring affairs. When you have teams that struggle to score, it's kind of like soccer in this country. People don't really like low-scoring sporting events. They want to see lots of offense. And again, when you mix in, does the person in New York, does the person in L.A. really care about Alabama-LSU, a Southern SEC matchup? They didn't, and these ratings reflect that. Yeah, and the, the good thing is if you're a defense fan, then you saw some pretty good defense. I mean, they do tackle amazing. I mean, there was some, some phenomenal hits in that game. So on that side of it, yeah, but I agree. I mean, the high scoring, the uh, you know the, the college option type offense and the, the guys running all over the place, and it's fun to watch, and it's fun these high scoring games are a blast to watch. The BCS people, Bill Hancock, executive director, a guest on this show previously, and many of the conference commissioners got together this past week and discussed options for the BCS in the future. And I think it is going to change because the contract with ESPN 
and the BCS expires in 2014, they're probably going to have some sort of discussion August, September timeframe of this year about renewing some sort of a contract. Now is the time to make format changes. And I think those discussions are taking place now, uh, reportedly anywhere from 40 to 50 scenarios on the table. I'd love to see some sort of a playoff system, as I've said before. I don't think the BCS works anymore. And we've always said once it starts affecting the TV networks and their ratings and their bottom line, then we'll see some changes. Well, these ratings this year show that the BCS needs some change. All right, our next headline, Tim Fincham, the commissioner of the PGA, has extended his contract to be commissioner of the PGA through 2016. Fincham recently helped the uh, PGA Tour negotiate a new TV deal, nine-year deal, so TV, digital rights, uh, in a year when many people thought that deal would decline because of the decline of Tiger Woods, and he really dictates ratings for golf on TV, but Fincham got them an even better deal than they had before, so he was rewarded with a new four-year extension. Bud Selig, on the verge of extending his deal, Through 2014. So remember, you know, he said he was going to step aside this year. Well, we've heard no news about any kind of a search committee for a new commissioner, potential candidates. And that's when I started to worry, because I think Bud Selig is one of the worst commissioners in the history of sports, not just baseball. And people may disagree with me, but, you know, if you go back to the steroid performance enhancing drug era, this guy was the guy who presided over all of that. And he stuck his head in the sand as the cash register rang after the work stoppage when uh, McGuire, Sosa, Palmero, and others were hitting home runs out of the park. So he did a lot of damage to the integrity of the game. The other thing right now, there's a mess with the Dodgers. There's a mess with the Mets. You've got teams that aren't meeting their financial obligations. So, you know, maybe it's a good thing he sticks around for two more years and has to clean up that mess. But the guy makes $22 million a year, Griggs. He makes more money than David Stern, more money than Roger Goodell, anyone else in sports. And to put it in perspective, Albert Pujols decided to deal with the Angels. He's going to make $24 million a year. Bud Selig's going to make $22 million a year. So dude's making a lot of money, and he has use of a private jet. And that uh, would be kind of cool. I like the private jet option, but uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, you summed it all up. Exactly the same feelings I have towards the guy, and he just uh, he's just not right. I think baseball needs somebody younger, somebody that's got some more enthusiasm and doesn't have that history of, you know, burying the stuff, burying his head in the sand, like you said. He's 77 years old, not saying that someone that age can't do an effective job, but I just want a fresh start. I want a clean slate, and it looks like we're not going to get that for at least a few more years. Our next headline, Hugh Jackson. Fired as the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. Griggs, the Oakland Raiders go through coaches like most people change their underwear. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable how many coaches they go through. They've gone through, you know, six coaches just in the last several years. And Reggie McKenzie is the new GM. Mark Davis, the son of the late Al Davis, owns the team now. And has basically said, we hired Reggie McKenzie. He's going to make football decisions and we're going to let him do his thing, and his first order of business was firing Hugh Jackson, who was bitter and said, you know, that Reggie McKenzie is going to gut the organization. The other thing is, you know, Carson Palmer was brought in from the Bengals, and the Raiders gave up some first-round picks to bring him in, really mortgaged their future to bring him in. His relationship was with Hugh Jackson. So now Carson Palmer is probably not super happy. He's going to have to work with a coach that he doesn't potentially have a relationship with and isn't as familiar with. So 
a mess in Oakland and not a surprise. Not at all. And it just continues even with Al Davis passing. It's just like, I mean, how many months ago was that? Now they're firing another coach. It's just, it's unbelievable. And it just keeps going back and forth. And there's infighting and there's, yeah, like you said, the relationship with, uh, with, with Palmer. It's going to be interesting to see how that works out. The story that I'm following more than any other in the NFL, as I've said before, is what's going on in Indianapolis with the Colts. We told you last week, the Polians, Bill Polian, Chris Polian, 14-year execs at the Colts, they were fired by Jim Ursay, the owner. And this week, Jim Ursay hired former Eagles executive Ryan Grigson as their new GM. 39 years old, he's never been a GM. He was the director of player personnel for the Eagles. And what you wonder here, Griggs, is is this the type of hire that, wow, he sees something in Grigson, meaning Ursay, that no one else sees? Much like when the Pittsburgh Steelers hire Mike Tomlin or Bill Cowher and you hadn't heard of them, they turn into be great coaches. Is this guy going to be a great GM? Or is Jim Ursay just bringing in a puppet who, because Ursay, according to many people, wants Andrew Luck with the number one pick. He's probably going to part ways with Peyton Manning, which will probably be an unpopular decision with many people. So you bring in your puppet, Grigson, to take the bullet on those. All right, he's our GM. He's going to make those decisions. And instead of the owner taking the heat, the GM takes the heat. This will be interesting to see how this plays out. But Grigson has some big, big decisions on his plate in the next few months. Yeah, I don't know if I want to come into a position like that and have that kind of decision in front of me. But I think I think you might be right with the puppet thing. Uh, somebody to take the hit, you know, the front lines kind of thing. Uh, because there's so many stories developing out of Indianapolis with uh, you know Peyton Manning and, and Andrew Luck if they take him and all that. So, yeah, I agree. This story is going to be a big one in the offseason, uh, and we're going to be following it big time. Well, in the first order of business, too, is what do you do with head coach Jim Caldwell? Because there's a lot of rumors that he he may be out now that Grigson is on board. He may bring in his own coach. All right, coming up next, Carson York, a three-time academic All-American, plays offensive lineman for the Oregon Ducks. And you know, Oregon Ducks play fast pace. If you're going to play offensive lineman, you've got to be pretty smart to understand that playbook. You've got to be in good shape. Carson York hurt his knee in the Rose Bowl, just had surgery. But uh, the guy's super bright. And represents the student in student athlete. We'll catch up with him next. Then it's Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com and Bill Sanders, the chief marketing officer of BDA Sports. That's all coming up next. I'm Brian Berger. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Carson York, who carries a 3.75 GPA in advertising. He started every game at left guard for the Oregon Ducks this season. The Oregon offensive line blocked for the nation's third-ranked scoring offense, fifth-ranked rushing attack. York is a three-time selection to the Pac-12 All-Academic First Team, and he joins me now. Carson, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. So you injured your knee, your patellar tendon in the Rose Bowl. You made a one-handed tackle after a Wisconsin interception. You had surgery last week. How's your knee? I'm doing good. I'm laid up in bed right now. Um, but, uh, you know, other than that, I'm still doing good. What'd they tell you about your recovery process? How long will it take before you can get back out on a football field? Um, it's be about six weeks. Um on crutches and a brace, uh, and then about six weeks before I can walk. And then, uh, and it's a slow process, but, uh, you know, we got, uh, you know, great trainers and you know, obviously great facilities and stuff. So, you know, I'll get back. Um, you know, hopefully when fall camp starts in August, I'll be full go. A lot of the injury recovery process is not just physical, it's mental. How do you prepare yourself mentally for the road back from an injury like this? Um, well, it's been an off season two years ago, kind of doing the same thing. I had shoulder reconstruction. Um, so you know, I, I kind of have an idea what it's going to be. Um, you know, you kind of kind of trust the process that, uh, there's a lot of people working for you and working with you and they'll get you back to full strength, full speed by the time you need it. Carson York, offensive lineman for the Oregon Ducks is joining us. So talk to me about that Rose Bowl win. What a thrill. You guys finally break through, win a BCS game. A really exciting game in itself. Uh, talk to me about the Rose Bowl. How exciting was that for you? Uh, I mean, it's amazing. Um, I don't think that uh, – I know I certainly didn't comprehend before I came here. Uh, I don't think most people understand the amount of work, uh, you know, effort, blood, sweat, all that kind of stuff that you know, it goes into a football season, a Division One football season, sort of at this level. And, you know, for the last three seasons to – to have put in all that effort, uh, you know, all that work to get to really, you know, really high points at the end of the year and then not be able to capitalize, um, you know, it sort of feels wasted at the end of the year. And so, to, you know, to get back to the Rose Bowl this year, um, you know, and, you know, but for the few people that sort of go through the process, understand, you know, what it takes to get there. Um, and then, to, you know, to finally pull through and win, um, you know, and be able to go into the off season, you know, knowing that, not only did you get to the point you wanted to get to, but you accomplished, you know, you accomplished the final goal. Um, you know, it means a lot. What was that locker room like after the game? Uh, I mean, I think it was, I think it was everybody sort of just, it was sort of like a sense of, more a sense of relief than anything, or more a sense of, uh, you know, guys, we finally got it done. Um, you know, everybody sort of just looking at each other like finally, you know, and uh, you're just sort of happy for each other. Um yeah, it was, it was great. We know about the Ducks' potent rushing attack. And, you know, i got to tell you, I watch you linemen. I mean, you're getting out there faster than the running backs are. And I want to ask you, when you got Chip Kelly's playbook, you first got it from him, how long did it take you to learn it? And there's so much timing involved with that fast-paced offense. Yeah, I mean, I think I think when he when he sort of took over as first as an offensive coordinator when I first got here, um, you know, we started to we started to speed up the things we did as far as in practice and in games, and uh, you know, I can definitely see he had a plan is that as he continued, and especially as the game head coach, to sort of 
continue to speed up the way we did things. It was definitely a process. I mean, three years ago, we didn't we didn't practice at nearly at the speed we do now, or play nearly at the speed on the consistent basis we do now. Um, we were probably more of a still just a traditional no huddle offense, and you know we play probably play faster this year than we did last year. Um, you know, and so it's a it's a definite process of getting used to adjusting. I remember when you first you know when you first you would yell at be you know be behind us yelling at us to hurry up or. Jerry, you'd have Jeremiah Masoli behind us telling us to hurry up and stuff. You know, we would sort of be like, "No, you shut up. We gotta, we have things we need to figure out up here as far as figuring out what the defense is doing." And once we figure it out, we'll let you know, and then we'll then we'll go. Uh, and it was sort of a sort of a almost like <laughs> breaking a horse, getting us to uh, you know eventually uh, you know buy in and realize that we just need to we just need to play that speed and that we need to get it for that speed, not everybody else wait for us. You just said that you played faster this year than you played last year. Can you play even faster next year, or are you as fast as you can go? Uh, I mean, I think I think every time we open a camp or practice, like, there's a goal to practice faster, and then that's where it translates. Um, I, I know for a fact we definitely practiced a lot faster this year than we did last year, um, especially once we got out of fall camp into normal into the normal uh, normal swing of things in the season. Um, you know, I think we're when we want, when we're going, we're pretty much playing it as fast as the rest will spot the ball. Um, I know this year they put in, they have definitely there was an emphasis from the umpires on uh, on when we subbed, uh, you know, stopping us and allowing the defense to substitute. And so we had to sort of compensate for that, that and not substitute as much. Um, but you know, we've got to the point I think that we're basically playing as lot as fast as the rest will allow us to play. We're joined by Carson York, Oregon Ducks offensive lineman. So you've played for Coach Bellotti, you've played for Chip Kelly, you just talked about the difference in pace, but as far as their style of coaching, what would you say are the biggest differences? Uh, I mean, I mean, the thing's going to be anywhere. Um, anytime there's two different guys in charge of anything, it's just different ways of going about things. Uh, you know, I think Chip Kelly, I think Coach Kelly is probably you know, more of a stiff disciplinarian. Um, he probably demands 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 a little more um you know out of us and uh yeah i think we've responded well to that talk to me about uh your academics you're a three-time all-american you've got a 3.75 gpa i read you want to get into advertising potentially even communications and journalism when you're done what are your plans for when your football career is over um we're working on my master's right now um you know my master's in uh Programming at the U of O, um, communication with society. Um, so, fo- but I'm trying to focus on like brand communication, um, you know, advertising that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, academics is one thing that I, you know I, I can control. Uh, you know, what you put into is what you get out of it. You know, at some point, athletically, you sort of <laughs> you sort of top out athletically. Uh, and I think you know, I'm pretty aware of where my ceiling is. Uh, you know, as far as, as far as athletically goes, but. Uh, you know, um, you know, I'm proud of I'm proud of what I've done in school, and uh, you know, only got one more season, and then uh, <laughs> we'll be looking for a job. So, a master's degree. Well, you've got Wyden and Kennedy, you've got Nike and Adidas, you've got some pretty good companies here in Oregon that you could at least go do internships with, and I'm sure you've made good connections during your uh, career as a football player and a college student. Uh, any good internships for you so far? Uh, yeah, I interned up at last last summer uh, up with the Nike Sparks team, um, and got a got to participate uh, when they did that big the opening thing for high school athletes. Uh, I got to help put that on uh, with those guys, and uh, I got to learn some really really great things, really great people up there. Um, yeah, so maybe next maybe this summer I can uh, you know hopefully 
find something else great to do and uh, some more great people to work with. It's impressive, Carson, because the life of a college athlete, I don't think a lot of people understand. With all the practices and the games, it's super busy. So the fact that you're getting your master's and you're excelling academically, uh, that's impressive stuff. Yeah, I mean, I sort of always said that, I mean, our schedules are hectic, uh, but any 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 college student who uh, has a full time job or or a you know or a part time job, they're helping to sort of pay their way through school. You know, probably have the same sort of time and commitment problems, um, and so any sort any athlete that sort of uses the time commitment as an excuse is sort of just using it as that. You know, it's just an excuse. Um, you know, I think the hardest part the hardest part isn't the time commitment, but sort of the mental commitment that. When you're over with at the football program or you're over at the football center, um, it's pretty hard to see football as anything but the most important thing in your life. Um, you know, when you have sixty thousand people that celebrate you for the things you do on the football field, um, you know, it's hard to re- it's hard to sort of divert your focus to school and you know, sort of be able to maintain you know the focus that it takes to succeed in the classroom. Um, and so, that, I mean, that's like, the hardest thing. Hardest thing is switching the you know turning the switch on and off about when you're at the football, that's the most important thing, and when you're at school, that's the most important thing. Um, you know, so I think that's definitely the hardest thing for uh, student athletes. Do you find yourself competitive in the classroom too? <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes people are a little surprised. Um, not only not you know not just me, but when other guys in the football team, um, there's a lot of guys that are pretty other uh, really smart guys are sort of able to uh, you know competently uh, express their opinions in class. Uh, yeah, it's definitely I feel like there's definitely a stereotype that is sort of unwarranted, but. Sometimes it's fun to break that stereotype. Carson York, offensive lineman of the Oregon Ducks, three-time academic All-American. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, Good luck with your recovery from your knee surgery, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the field next year and uh, maybe in a uh, journalism or ad agency sometime soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Carson. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Welcome back. My most hated man in sports, my pinata, is Bud Seeley, Commissioner of Major League Baseball. And the news that has come out in the last 24, 48 hours that he may continue as Major League Baseball Commissioner uh, really 
has me perplexed. And I wanted to talk about baseball, Bud Selig, Dodgers sale, where Prince Fielder might be going with our own Major League Baseball insider, Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. You can follow him on Twitter at bizballmory. Maury, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Brian. Thanks for having me. So I've always disliked Bud Selig, and I know he's done some good things for baseball, but I go back to the steroid and PED era, and he and many of the owners knew full well this was going on. They stuck their head in the sand in sake of the record amounts of money after the baseball strike that were coming back when McGuire and Sosa were hitting home runs. And here's a guy who's the highest paid commissioner in sports, $22 million a year. He reportedly has use of a private jet whenever he wants. He said he was going to step out in 2012, but now I'm reading that he may stick around for a few more years. Well, Brian, this is this is Bud Selig, though. Bud Selig said in 1992 he would never take the position of commissioner beyond acting. <laughs> and he, he said he was going to step down many, many times. I mean, this should not be a surprise. And look, Brian, this is because the owners absolutely love Bud Selig. I mean, I wrote about this for Baseball Prospectus this week, but I think that they would like nothing more than when he dies than to stuff him, prop him up in a chair, and have a run a seance and have him run the league in the afterlife. He really is a, a consummate communicator and consensus builder, and there's really nobody out there to fill his position right now. Um, as one executive told me, he can be on the phone in the morning with the Yankees and the Red Sox and hear their plights and in the afternoon talk to the Pirates or the Royals, and he seems to come across as very sincere and, and, and relate to their plights in the same breath almost. I mean, he's very good at that sort of thing, and that's why they love him. Well, I think the first red flag for people like me who want Selig to move on is that we haven't heard any names mentioned as his potential replacement, right? No, we haven't. I mean, the big thing is for this kind of thing, and I mean, and getting into the technicalities, but there's have to be a search committee, and there would be, you know, and a search committee appointed, and there would be names that would be leaked out that would be probably up for consideration with the committee and the owners, and there has been none of that. And so, I mean, that I, I actually contacted the league about this probably two or three months ago because it was like, Really? The guy's going to retire? You know, here we are. It's a year out, and you guys aren't even talking about it. You know, what's up with that? Even if they had handpicked somebody, if there was somebody sitting in the wings, they would have to follow the protocol. And unless they are doing this in some kind of vacuum, which it doesn't look like, he's going to get this extension, and, you know, they, that would have leaked out. So we've got more Bud Selig at least two years, it sounds like. He's 77 years old. He makes $22 million a year, so he's only making $2 million less a year than Albert Pujols will with the Angels. Highest-paid commissioner in sports. Is he worth it? Well, Brian, I think, you know, you and I are going to probably have to disagree on this, but I think he's totally worth it, and I think he's a first-ballot Hall of Famer if you look at some of his the the commissioners that have been in the position prior. And baseball is a very difficult sport to probably manage in the sense that it has a lot more have and have nots and has this history that lags with it. And so it's very difficult to manage when you're when you're in this situation to manage the league that they have that that has this situation like C League has. And there is really nobody. I mean I asked this on Twitter yesterday, who would you have replacing it or who would be do do a better job? Being a commissioner, there, there's, you know, you just never are like. There's always going to be something wrong with them. It's You're hired by the owners, for heaven's sakes. You're basically a CEO, and you're not going to be ticking them off. You should be looking at the best interests of the game, but the reality is they're hired by owners. I'll tell you a guy who might make an interesting Major League Baseball commissioner, and I've said this before on the show, Larry Scott. 
I like what he's done for the Pac-12. I think he's a visionary. Uh, he could take them to the next level. But look, if you're if you're going to stick around for a few more years in your Bud Selig, clean up the messes with the Dodgers. Clean up the messes with the Mets because again, he oversaw those transactions, which turned sour. And now those are two high pro- pro- profile franchises that you've got to fix. Yeah, and I mean, this is the thing. I mean, there's never a good time to leave, right? There's always somebody that's something that's going on in the background that you have to deal with. If it isn't the Dodgers and the Mets, then it's something else. But I mean, certainly in the situation with the Dodgers, I mean, we don't have time to get into it. That was kind of a thing, a thing that was forced on by Fox. Certainly something that the league should never have gone down the road with with the McCourts. And the Mets are a situation that I think eventually either the banks force them out and Seelig doesn't stand in the way of that or something else has to transpire. I mean, it's just a big mess. But, I mean, look, I mean, that is the issue now. It was steroids prior. I mean, you mentioned that. The big problem now, it's not nearly as sexy, is this debt problem that now 10 clubs are under. They're out of compliance with the debt service rule. That is Selig's big problem. And there's nobody out there that you want to have to hand that off to right now. I think Bud Selig is commissioner for life. Wow. 77 years old. Uh, I wonder how long that will be, but uh, that's a, a bold statement on your part. We're joined by Maury Brown from com. Follow him on Twitter at BizBallMaury. What is the latest with the Dodgers sale? I mean, we've seen everyone from Joe Torre to Magic Johnson to Oral Hershiser and Steve Garvey throw their name in the hat. Larry King. A lot of people lining up to buy the Dodgers. So the big thing now is just just late yesterday, and it's being reported this morning, that Fox and the Dodgers have agreed to a settlement to try and not sell the media rights in advance of the expiration of their current broadcast deal, which would be 2012 at the earliest and early 2013. So that removes a huge thing. They were trying to throw that in the mix and break the contract with Fox. So that opens up the sale process right now. It has to get done before April. A lot of talk about Joe Torre being in the mix, but I mean, the big thing about this, Brian, will be how much cash is going to be involved in the deal. It's a bankruptcy situation. Those people have to all be satisfied, all the, the secured and non-secured um, creditors of the Dodgers right now. But I mean, I always look at the situation with Magic Johnson, I think is very intriguing. I mean, he's got Stan Kasdan as part of his group. And for those that don't know, Stan's the only guy that held the position of president uh, with three clubs at the same time in Atlanta. Um, that's an interesting dynamic to have him in there, but the money is going to be the big thing. A lot of great names, Joe Torre, you mentioned Garvey, all of them are great guys. But I think in the end, you know, it's going to be somebody with deep pockets and close ties to the L.A. area with somebody that can run the baseball operations side, much like we, like I mentioned with Kasten. Yeah, and Kasten was successful in teaming with the Learners to get the Washington Nationals when, when that bid was in place. So, again, the Dodgers, it's going to be much like the Texas Rangers when this was settled in a bankruptcy court and Nolan Ryan outbid Mark Cuban, right? Yeah, I mean, somewhat, but a little bit different. In that situation, you know, they already had basically picked who was going to own the club, and then, bang, you know, we have this open auction situation. This one's a lot more controlled. The league has a lot more say in the sense that McCord's there, there's money to be handled through it, but all of the owners that are through them will be vetted. But at the end of the day, it's the most cash in hand. I mean, Mark Cuban's out there. I don't think Mark Cuban has a ghost of a chance in this, not because the league doesn't want him in there, but I don't think he'll just – pony up the money that needs to be in play for this thing. But, I mean, that is a big consideration. You know, if somebody comes along, this isn't a hand-picked thing by the league. The courts are going to have some say in it, depending upon how much money is in the deal. 
Last question for you. Where's Prince Fielder going? Yeah, this is the big question on everybody's mind right now. I think it's pretty much where Scott Boris wants it to go. I mean, he's trying to get Albert Pujols money type thing, and that's just never going to happen. That Pujols deal, which, you know, is staggering in the sense that it's 20 years when you had the 10-year service contract agreement at the end of it, it, it's insane. You can never get that. But, look, there's a lot of want for him. I think it's going to probably come down to a few teams. The Cubs are certainly out there. The Rangers are out there. You know, the Mariners are still lurking out there, although I think that diminishes daily. I would look at the Cubs and the Rangers right now. Interesting. Maury, that's all the time we have. As always, thanks for making the time to join us. Follow Maury at thebizofbaseball.com and also bizballmaury on Twitter. Thanks, Maury. Thank you, Brian. Have a good day. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Right now, I welcome my friend and colleague, Bill Sanders, the CMO of BDA Sports. They rep the likes of Steve Nash, Rajon Rondo, Greg Oden, and Yao Ming. Bill, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you, Brian? My fellow LMU Lion, by the way. Go Lions. That's right. So... You're always a wealth of information, and I want to start by asking your guy out there who's negotiating sports marketing and endorsement deals for your clients every single day. And, you know, a few years ago, it was pretty commonplace for athletes to get endorsement deals, but then Kobe Bryant happened, then Michael Vick happened, Ben Roethlisberger, Tiger Woods. What's the landscape right now with companies willing to invest in athletes and tie their brands to that athlete's brand? Well, you're, you're spot on. I mean, there was this sort of, you know, tidal wave of bad news of, of what I call the Mount Rushmore of iconic athletes. And then you, you, you add, don't forget the recession, right? You know, that, <laughs> that happened right there as well. And I actually sort of re- jokingly refer to it as the Tiger recession. Like, these two things happen. You know, these athletes fall from grace and, you know, the money goes sideways. And, you know, in, in the background also you have this sort of changing uh, advertising environment where, the broadcast audience is fragmenting, and, and it's much more easy, or it's much easier to target. You know, your your advertising spends, and people are starting to spend money digitally and less money on broadcast and all of that. So the environment is completely different from where it was, say, five years ago. What I'm finding now, and and you know, we're we're strictly NBA, so my my vantage point is is a little bit jaded. It's just NBA related. 
But what we're finding now is that the deals, the traditional looking deals, are going to the guys with the most you know, proven characters, the guys that are risk-free. So we're going crazy doing deals for Steve Nash these days. It's terrific. You know, we're really having fun. Uh, he just did a, a, a commercial for Bridgestone that may end up running on the Super Bowl. He just did a spot for Dove for Men. We're in negotiations on a couple other deals. So it's, it's, you know, it is business as usual for Steve. And I told him, I, I mean, I think he's benefiting from some of these, these other falls from grace, these other issues, because, you know, traditional sponsors who are spending big money on broadcast just don't want to run the risk of, of being associated with somebody that ends up doing something that makes them look bad. The other thing that's cool about Nash is that he's an aspiring filmmaker. So he's done, I've seen you guys do a lot of viral campaigns on Facebook and Twitter, and um, he's been such a hit in those areas as well. You know, his, his what I, we call brand pillars, right? Every, every athlete brand, you know, you, you, certain things come to mind when I mention to you Charles Barkley or Tiger Woods or LeBron James. There's certain sort of tent poles that pop in your mind. And when you have a guy like Steve that, that it's been all positive, you know, we have the filmmaker, he's an environmentalist, uh, he's a Canadian, he plays multiple sports. There's all these touch points, and it gives, gives brands a lot to choose from. Talk about Greg Oden. He's obviously here in Portland. He's had a rough go with injuries. He was the number one player taken in the 2000, 2007 NBA draft, and he did a lot of stuff as he was coming into the NBA. He's not done as much stuff. How marketable is a guy like Greg Oden still? Because he had a pretty fun sense of humor. Greg, it's it's just it's so frustrating for us, and and Greg is I have a very soft spot in my heart for Greg. He's one of the nicest human beings you could ever possibly meet. He's got a heart of gold. His intentions are good. His work ethic is strong. And when he came out, I mean, I really thought he would sort of, in some ways, from the marketing perspective, fill Shaq's shoes a little bit. You know, that big man, that lovable big man that that's charming and self-deprecating and 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 all of that. And and it was it was a load of fun and and. You know, we're confident he'll be back again, but, you know, when you have a situation like this as a marketer, I think the best thing to do is to kind of lay low, you know, because the most important thing is for him to get back on the basketball court and, and for him to be working very hard. And, you know, you have to be careful with sort of the marketing stuff because it can backfire sometimes. If the fans perceive that you care more about your celebrity and your off-the-court interest than you do about your sport, then suddenly they'll turn on you real fast. We're joined by Bill Sanders. He's the chief marketing officer of BDA Sports. They're an NBA agency based in California. They rep a number of different players, including Steve Nash, Rajon Rondo, Greg Oden, and Yao Ming. So Yao Ming had to retire because of injuries. But you know what a story he is as far as what he's meant to the NBA, what he's meant to the game of basketball in China. I imagine post-retirement, he's still got a lot of opportunities. We're we're actually busier with Yao than we when we ever have been. You know, as you know, Brian, the NBA schedule is brutal, and and you can be aggressive with sponsors, but the truth is, during the course of an NBA season, you know, NBA superstars don't have a lot of time to deliver services to sponsors. So you end up turning a lot of stuff down just because you can't schedule it in. That's especially true this year. This NBA schedule is brutal for for finding time for production days and stuff. But now, you know, Yao's got. Lots of time. He's got himself. You know, he's a student. He's running the Shanghai Sharks. He's very busy, ambassador to the city of Shanghai. But he's got time to pursue other things. And we we just in November we launched uh, Yao Family Wines. So he's got his own line of very high end uh, Napa Valley Cabernet that we're exporting to China for the growing uh, um, wine market over there. So it's been a lot of fun. We got a lot going on with him. How's his wine taste? 
It is phenomenal. I promise you, uh, if, if LMU wins an NCAA championship, I will bring a bottle up there and we'll drink it together. If they win a championship, how about if they just get to the tournament? Okay, if they make the tournament. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, it, it's truthfully, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. We knew that there would be some awareness because of Yao's name on the label. But that there would also be a lot of scrutiny. You know, is this just another celebrity product? And you know, there's been he, there's no comparable celebrity over there in China to Yao Ming. But there are other, other celebrities that have gone sort of endorsement and licensing crazy. So there's some skepticism. So we knew they will give us a chance because Yao's name is on the label. But it has to be ultra high quality. And we did some blind tastes against some of the most renowned brands in the world, and, and we actually beat him. So we're, we're really happy with it. Will we see him in commercials here domestically, or is most of what he's going to do be over in China? You know, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's tricky because out of sight, out of mind, obviously, and he's not spending very much time here in the U.S. I think he'll probably come here once or twice a year. Uh, and I think he'll always be relevant to people, and there will always be things going on. But, uh, you know, his focus is in China, and he's got his hands so full with amazing opportunities over there that, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. I think he'll always be viable here, but it's definitely uh, most of the action right now on Yao is is in China for sure. I still love his commercial that he did with uh, Mini-Me for Apple on the airplane. Uh, Such a fun run, and then that one got followed by the Visa one with uh, Yo Yao. Yeah, that was... That one, and Yogi (laughs) Bear comes in in the end. I mean, it was a really, really fun time, no, no doubt. Let's talk about the state of the NBA. I know you and I have talked about this offline. So they had the lockout. Where's the brand of the NBA right now? Have you seen any residue of the lockout? Are there arenas that aren't as full as they might have been if there wasn't a lockout? You know, Brian, I I know. I, I don't think so. I, my perspective actually is that the thing that, that threatened the NBA more than the lockout was the whole Chris Paul mess. I mean, it, it got worked out. But, you know, an NBA schedule starting with, like, five games on Christmas Day, you know, is a great idea. I actually think they should, you know, switch to it. Obviously, cutting back the number of games and all of that, you know, pre- creates other problems. Um, but a shorter season uh, starting on Christmas Day, it, to me, fans are completely and totally engaged. So I, I don't think there's, there's been any fallout at all. I think they got lucky. The Chris Paul thing was a problem because everybody was so excited to get back to basketball and, and a, a trade that's, that's exciting and yet by most people's accounts seemed reasonable got nixed by the league. And then you, you have fans thinking like intervention, like what, what's going on here? We just want our teams to be able to do what they do. It's almost like a fantasy football team in the commissioner nixes your trade. Like it just it feels interventionist. So there was, there was backlash from that, and I was very concerned about what was going on on Twitter uh, in, in, in relation to, in reaction to that. Um, but, you know, the Clippers made a great trade and, and the dust settled. And I think it's, it's business as usual. And, and we're picking up where we left off last year. You're down in LA. How is the feeling different with the Clippers this year as opposed to any other year? You know, I, I, my dad and I had Clippers season tickets when they drafted Danny Manning and the great Bo Kimball back in the eighties. And, uh, and so I've been going to Clipper games for a long time, back when you could buy tickets in the last row and, and be sitting in the third row by the second quarter because the arena was so empty. But, you know, there, there's always been a, a contingency of Clipper fans in this town, the blue-collar folks. It's, it's, it's different. You know, it's not the Laker fan, and the Lakers will always rule the city, I, I, I believe. But there is excitement and energy here. And, and, you know, the game last night, I don't know if you saw it, but... You know, I, I thought there was going to be an earthquake set off when they won that game in this town because uh, there, is, there is, you know, 20 years of pent-up 
sort of frustration on the part of blue-collar basketball fans in this town that would like an alternative to the Lakers. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's beyond great. I'm happy for the organization. And, and to me, you know, if someone said you want courtside Lakers or Clippers, I would take the Clipper tickets in a heartbeat. Interesting. And that was never the case before. Last question for you before I let you go. So explain to our audience, you know, you've got a guy like Greg Oden or any of the other players you rep, Steve Nash, Rajon Rondo. At the beginning of a season, what are your conversations like with that team? Because they've got their sponsors and their marketing people that they're working with. How do you work together? Wow, that's a great question, Brian. It really varies from team to team. I have to give a shout-out to the Portland Trailblazers, uh, the Phoenix Suns. There's a few organizations that are just amazing. They completely see us as, as partners, as advocates, as, as you know, people that will sort of help their cause because if you have a Steve Nash or Greg Oden – uh, and and we we align with team sponsors that helps those sponsors activate their sponsorships. It's win win for everybody. Conversely, if um, if we go out and sign Steve to a conflicting partner to one of the team sponsors, then you know that that's a negative. So I think it's great. We always try to start out with the teams to get to know the the team sponsorship people, the PR people, the community relations people, and talk about our plans for the athlete for the coming season. But some teams, I won't name any, but some teams still see us as, as adversaries and still see agents as, you know, well, if the agent sells an endorsement deal, then that's less money for us for sponsorship. And it's amazing how still to this day there's teams that sort of work in an old-school way where they want to call the shots and, and see agents as, as sort of you know meddling in their business. So it really varies from team to team. That's pretty short-sighted because, you know, at the end of the day, if a player is getting nice exposure via a good campaign, whether it's a team partner or not, it's good for the brand of the team and great for the brand of the player. Well, Steve, Steve has been the best example, Nash, in, in Phoenix. And, and the, the Suns, one of their biggest partners is a brand called APS. It's the local power company. And Steve, as an environmentalist, was a great fit for them in their solar campaign. And they, they had this huge campaign where they wanted to actually reduce consumption. It's kind of funny when uh, a company tells you to use, use their services less, but, but that was the economics of the, the, the uh, energy situation in Phoenix. And they're one of the Sun's best sponsors. Steve has been a great spokesman for them. And they just renew with the sponsors and with us year after year after year because everybody's happy and, and it works for everyone. I, I wish more teams were like that. But... You know, it, it's, it's a new way of thinking. When we started doing this, we'd go in and meet with marketing uh, uh, staffs from the team, and they'd say, you're the first agency to come in here. So they're still not used to it. It's amazing. I think that's changing now. I think a lot of our competitors are starting to do that more frequently. But, um, but some of the teams are just still set in old ways where they really would rather not have the agents around. It's funny. Still to this day, the NBA will put the agents and the players in separate hotels during All-Star Weekend. Like, they try to keep us as far away from our clients as they can. It's, it's a funny thing. I don't really understand, but what the heck. Yeah, I'm not sure when that mentality is going to change. Bill Sanders, always a great opportunity to catch up with you. Go to BDASports.com. People can follow Bill on Twitter, at Bill Sanders. He's always got interesting things to say, great insight from someone who works in the sports industry. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Happy New Year, my friend, to you and your listeners. Thanks, Bill. Okay. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SB Radio. I used to love the tenderloin till I made some tender coin. Then I met some ladies from Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. 
My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. We're back, and sports agent Lee Steinberg, one of the most powerful players in sports business, has filed for bankruptcy, it was announced this week. The super agent, you may remember him as the agent for Ben Roethlisberger, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Oscar De La Hoya. He's raked in millions in commission, but many people remember him as the agent who served as one of the real-life inspirations for the 1996 Tom Cruise character in the film Jerry Maguire. Griggs, this is one of my favorite scenes of any movie. What can I do for you, Rod? You just tell me, what can I do for you? It's a very personal, very important thing. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. I just want to make sure you're ready, brother. Here it is. Show me the money. Show you the money. Oh, no, no, you can do better than that, Jerry. I want you to say it with you with me, then, brother. Hey, I got Bob Sugar on the other line. I better hear you say it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Show you the money. Not show you. Show me the money. Show me the money. Yeah. Louder! Show me the money! That's it, brother, but you got to yell! Show me the money! I need to feel you, Jerry! Show me the money! Jerry, you better yell! Show me the money! Congratulations, she's still my agent. One of my favorite movies ever, Cameron Crowe. Just amazing putting that film together. But yeah, it's a sad story. Lee Steinberg, 62 years old, files for bankruptcy this week, and he reveals that he's had a long-going bout with alcoholism that has led him to check out episodically. And this information comes from Mike McCarthy at USA Today. So sad story, Griggs. But, you know, it's amazing. A lot of times agents who are very successful, like Lee Steinberg, they start living extravagantly like the players they represent. And they don't have that kind of money to keep up with those players. And, you know, the players lose money. We read all the time about players who are going bankrupt right after their careers end. And now here's an agent who had some terrific clients and was a super agent at the top of the profession, and now he's filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, I think you're right. When these guys hang out with these athletes you know, constantly, they live, you know, agents are 24 hours a day, you're with these guys, and they see the lifestyle, and you know, they get a little bit of money in their pockets, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, I can live this way too, and then here's an example of, you know, they can't. <laughs> 
So thanks to our guests this week, Carson York from the Oregon Ducks, Maury Brown from the bizofbaseball.com, and Bill Sanders, the CMO of BDA Sports. Great to catch up with each of them. As we told you last week, we're doing a podcast-specific, a special podcast edition of this show going forward. So you're going to get more conversations, more content every week when you download this podcast on iTunes or via our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can follow me during the week on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.